0: Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you guys about the mysterious
1: death of Charles
0: Morgan. So pour yourself some coffee and let's dive on in. We'll continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for a patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com crime coffee pod thank you again for all of your support
1: 39-year-old Charles Morgan, who went by Chuck at this time, so that's what I'll refer to him as, was the owner of an escrow company in Tucson, Arizona. On March 22nd, 1977, he left his house to head to work, just like he typically did. And on the way to work, he was going to be dropping his daughters off at school. Concerns started to rise when he didn't return home. And so his wife, Ruth, was obviously very concerned And started looking for him, but it wasn't until three days later when they saw him again. On March 25th, around two o'clock in the morning, Ruth was at home in bed, sleeping, obviously, and heard her dog start barking. She gets up and heads to the door because she hears some noise there to go see what's going on. And when she opens the door, she sees her husband, Chuck, standing there. He had one shoe on the other shoe was missing he had a plastic handcuff around an ankle and a pair of handcuffs around his
0: hands plastic around his hand too plastic handcuffs around his hand okay sounds sounds weird it doesn't get any less weird (laughs) so
1: he mentions he like he like tells ruth like he just points at his throat and doesn't say anything And Ruth's like, can you talk? Like, do you need a piece of paper so you can write it down? And he shook his head yes to the paper. So she grabbed him paper and a pen. And on this paper, he wrote that he had been kidnapped and tortured over the last few days. And he said that his throat had been painted with a hallucinic drug. And that if he, like, started to talk or tried to do anything with his throat, then the drug would either drive him insane or destroy his nervous system
0: and kill him. Okay. I've no that's a new one. That's a new one.
1: It is a new one. However, ironically, you say it's a new one. When I first started researching this, I questioned for a moment if this was an episode that we had already done. <laughs> and I don't know what I was what episode I was thinking of, but we definitely never did this one.
0: It reminds me of that Criminal Minds episode where the like drug is administered and it makes the people kill Like their loved ones
1: yeah and maybe that's just what i was thinking of was a different movie or episode or something but in this process obviously ruth is concerned for her husband because he's basically like i was just kidnapped i was tortured and i may die and so she's like can we call the police can we call the doctor can we take you to the hospital and chuck is very much against that he says that Well, he told Ruth that if they did that, it would be like signing a death warrant for their family. But then what's his plan? (laughs) I think he is basically going to go into hiding from the people that kidnapped him. Oh, so he asks Ruth to move his car because he didn't want, quote unquote, them to know that he had been like returned back home. But he wouldn't clarify who they were. Okay. So basically at this point, Ruth Ruth's husband, Chuck, returns home. Chuck says, I was kidnapped. I was tortured. I may die. We can't call the doctor. We can't call the police. We have to hide everything, though, so they don't know I'm home. And Ruth's just like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I mean, what are you doing
0: in that situation? I don't know what I would do. Yeah, I I feel like that's tough, but I mean, I just feel like he got to call 911 at that point.
1: I feel like it it was probably a better option because if there really is like a hallucinic drug, like in his throat, mm-hmm. if they take him to the hospital, they could probably test for that, I guess, and see kind of what's going on. Maybe cure it. I don't know. I have no idea. Either way, they don't do that. For the next week, Ruth just helps take care of Chuck, trying to basically nurse him back to health. So... I did read that she went as far as feeding him through an eyedropper until he was able to eat by himself. So I don't know if that was because of the hallucinic drug that was supposedly pain in his throat. Maybe that was so that that wouldn't be triggered. I have no
0: idea exactly
1: what that did.
0: Interesting. It seems like too, and I have no authority on this, obviously. Could you even do that where it would be like lasting in your throat? for a long period of time? I have no
1: idea, honestly. I'm not well-versed in that department. I'm sure that there's different things that potentially, and maybe it it doesn't last that long, but it just, he was made to think that it did. Sure. Potentially, just to kind of scare him. During this next week or so that she's taking care of Chuck, he ends up dropping kind of a small bombshell on her. And he wrote down at one point, quote, they took my treasury identification, end quote. Obviously, Ruth is really confused. She's like, I didn't know that you worked for the treasury. You are an escrow agent. I'm confused. And Chuck was like, no, I've been working for the U.S. Treasury for a couple of years at this point. I've just been hiding it from you. And he said that a few days ago he had been kidnapped and he was held at near the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport, and that's where he escaped from. At this point, there's some speculation as to, obviously, what happened with Chuck over the course of those three days where he was kidnapped. And one of the things that's kind of brought up, and I don't know if Chuck initially brings it up, or, and he says, you know, these are the people that kind of kidnapped me or whatever, but they start looking into the Mafia. It was known that Chuck had done at least one business exchange, some sort of real estate escrow work with at least one mafia family in the area. There was also some speculation that he may have helped purchase some gold bullion and platinum that could have been it, it's used to launder money. So it's believed that Chuck could have been involved in some of this money laundering and maybe not have known kind of the extent or maybe not have actually known what he was doing. What we kind of know about the mafia at this point. So in the 1970s, which was around this time in Arizona, the mafia had established that state as a narcotics pipeline. And they basically were using it mainly for money laundering. So they had over 500 racketeers set up shop in just Arizona alone. And one of the things that I saw that made this really like a prime area for this was because there was a state law that allowed anyone to buy up land through numbered blind trust accounts. They could basically just launder money and nobody could trace it back to them or trace any of where it went. So it was just an ideal location for this. Ruth said that she had no idea that Chuck had been involved anything with the mafia. She had said that he had apparently told her at one point that there was some money laundering going on, but had never said anything about the fact that he was involved. But he had told Ruth that the less she knew, the better, because it would protect her and their kids. So it's potential that he was maybe involved in something, or maybe he was involved and didn't know the extent to what he was involved but was
0: just trying to protect his family at this point. In which case, he would have had nothing to do with the treasury, right?
1: Correct. Unless he was somehow working for the treasury to take down the mafia. Yeah. I don't... It's all a little
0: odd.
1: A lot of it doesn't make sense. He just We we know for a fact that Mm -hmm. he went missing for a few days, and now he's back, and he's
0: kind of confused. Sure, and making all these claims. Okay.
1: Yes. What happens next is a little more confusing It doesn't really give us any more answers. So, obviously, after Chuck had returned home from this alleged kidnapping, he was on high alert and prepared for anything. He walked around wearing a bulletproof vest. He grew a beard as a disguise so that people wouldn't know who he was. And he made it very clear that he was the only one's that were allowed to drive his daughters to school and pick his daughters up from school. He had gone to the school and said, Nobody's allowed to get my daughters. I'm the only one. Another thing that was kind of odd is Chuck, in preparation for anything that could possibly happen, told his father that if anything happened to him, there was a letter that he had written that would tell them who was
0: responsible for whatever had happened to him. Do we know where the letter is? No.
1: I'll tell you to this day, the letter... Has never been found. And they did start actively looking for it because two months after his initial disappearance, Chuck went missing again on June 7th.
0: This case does sound familiar. Yeah. I don't know if it's from a movie, like a, or some a TV show, or, or a documentary, yeah.
1: but it sounded very familiar as I was researching it. So they look for the letter. They don't find it. It's still missing to this day. Nine days later... Chuck's wife, Ruth, receives a mysterious phone call from an unknown woman. And this woman calls, and when Ruth answers, she goes, Ruthie. And Ruth's like, yes. And the woman says, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. And then hung up the phone.
0: And what exactly is that? So,
1: Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8 is or excuse me so ecclesiastes is a book of the bible that this is found in and i'm gonna actually read it to you guys it is a little bit long but it sort of makes sense so here's here's those verses for you remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say i find no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain When the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed, and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights, and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. To summarize this set of verses, it is is talking about how we should recognize life as precious and as a gift from God and when, and we should focus our lives on God. And because when life ends, all that matters is what God has created in the end. The specific, the silver cord that I uh, mentioned that is severed, the golden bowl that is broken and the pitcher that is shattered is meant to symbolize how fragile life is.
0: So they're saying that Chuck at this point is dead. Pretty much.
1: That he I, I think that's what they're basically saying is that Chuck is dead, but he's alright because he recognized that life was precious and so he's receiving what God had for him. I think is what they're trying to say. But they're they start she starts it out with Chuck is alright. However, I think he's dead is what they're saying, basically.
0: Okay. Random. So, I guess my thought is maybe like there was a group of people who kidnapped him originally and tortured him and made him think a certain way. And then they took him back and murdered him and they were calling. And maybe they've got some, you know, loose nuts and bolts going on.
1: Potentially. Two days later, Chuck's body is discovered in the desert about 30 feet off the highway in the San Juan Springs area. He was still wearing his bulletproof vest. He had died from a single bullet fired at close range to the back of his head. And the bullet came from a gun that was registered to him. A 357 Magnum,
0: which was found laying beside him. Would that, I mean, obviously it would have been awkward, but is it possible that he could have shot himself with that gun? So let me give you the rest of the details. Okay.
1: There were no fingerprints found on the gun. There was gunshot residue found on his left hand, which would indicate that he had shot a gun, not necessarily his, but a gun. They found a piece of paper with directions to the murder site written in Chuck's handwriting. A pair of sunglasses that they were 100% positive did not belong to Chuck. They also found in his car some ammunition, weapons, a CB radio, and one of his teeth wrapped in a handkerchief. Okay. The last thing that they found was a $2 bill clipped inside his underwear. Written on the bill were seven Spanish names beginning with the letters A through G. Above them was written Ecclesiastes 12 with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows. And on the back of the bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were numbered 1 through 7. With a map that led to an area somewhere between Tucson and Mexico in an area that was known
0: for smuggling. Parts of that sound like mafia or mob hit. I know that there were times where leaving a dollar bill or like a two dollar bill is a sign that it was a mob hit. I wonder if they were involved and then they just threw, especially the tooth and the handkerchief, but they just threw in a bunch of random crap to like throw everybody off like just bombard the scene with evidence that makes no sense and doesn't connect to it throw leads off us a trail
1: to questioning it like 50 years mm-hmm. later. <laughs> yeah. That's extremely possible as police were looking, they start asking around and witnesses say, you know, I they'd seen Chuck at several restaurants and motels in that area after his second disappearance and before he had died. So in those like 11 days, they had seen him multiple times Either way, with all of this evidence or all of these items, police do come to the conclusion that Chuck committed suicide, which is so incredibly awkward to hold a gun behind your head with your left hand. Granted, I don't know if he was left or right handed, but with your left hand and then shoot yourself in the the back
0: of the head. Yeah, I feel like you'd have to at least use both hands, but then his fingerprints would have been on the gun. And they didn't find any fingerprints on the gun. The fact that there were no fingerprints is what's suspicious to me. Sure. Because you can't shoot yourself in the head and kill yourself and then wipe off the fingerprints. You would think they would have at least marked it as undetermined, even if they were leaning towards one way or the other. Nope. They just decided suicide and moved on. That's what's so unfortunate in cases like this is because as soon as they do the they mark it down as suicide they're not investigating it it's like a closed case basically
1: and then obviously at that point they lose any evidence because if they it's suicide right away they're not testing everything for evidence sure so if there was anything left on something then it would be gone ruth says that she fully believes her husband did not commit suicide she said that he had never been suicidal, and even if he was going to commit suicide, he would have at least left a note saying goodbye to her and her kid, their kids. Two days after Chuck's death, a woman calls into the Pima County Sheriff's Department and says that her name is Green Ice, and she said that she had... Chuck meet her at a local motel just before he died, and when they were there, he had showed her a briefcase containing thousands of dollars in cash, and he told her that the money would buy him out of a contract the mob had put on his life. This woman then tells the police that she had been the one to call Chuck's wife, Ruth, and she reiterated Ecclesiastes 12, Mm
0: 1-8. Maybe she was involved, but not necessarily a very willing participant involved. Yeah, I don't quite understand her involvement level
1: necessarily, but I feel like this phone call should at least urge police to reopen the case and start Mm -hmm, investigating it further, and that's not what happened. Shortly after Chuck's death, his car that had been impounded ended up being broken into while it was in the police procession and his office was also ransacked at this point so it seemed pretty clear that somebody was specifically looking for something of chuck's something that i had thought about which i think is pretty unlikely because it's family but he had told his father that he'd left a note somewhere that would explain what had happened to him so the only thing i could think of was maybe his father was trying to find information and maybe the police weren't being cooperative but his father was trying to find a letter that is nowhere to be found i didn't see that anywhere that's just something that i had thought about was maybe the police were opening up and sharing some of chuck's personal items and so his father just decided to take it into his own hands because if the letter was true or what he had said about the letter was true then this could potentially solve this death situation the suicide three weeks after chuck's death Ruth Morgan is visited by two men at her home, who state that they're from the FBI. She said that when they got there, they opened and closed their identification really quickly, so she wasn't completely sure that they're actually from the FBI. But she let them in. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, if somebody showed up at my door saying I was the FBI, let me in, I'd probably be like, okay,
0: yeah. I'd be a- like, uh, no, yeah.
1: That's an easy scam. They wanted to come in and look through the house. They didn't tell her what they were looking for and they tore the house apart looking for something, but said that they never found it and then left. Ruth is later said that she was really upset she didn't ask for like their names and write them down so that she mm-hmm. knew who they were. And no one actually is able to state whether or not they were with the FBI. So, a man named Don, I might butcher his last name, Devereux, I'm gonna say, was a journalist that had been working to investigate Chuck's story and he had been helping Ruth throughout a lot of this process. So, after this happens, he calls the FBI to get more information about this case to f- see what's going on. So, he makes a Freedom of Information Act request and the FBI's like, i have we've never heard of a Charles Chuck Morgan. And he's like you guys had opened an investigation you guys had ransacked had gone through the home and they were like nope we never heard of this guy we don't have a file for him we don't have a card.
0: we, we know nothing about this man so likely it was whoever else was ransacking his car in his office looking for something
1: that or something else was speculated is if he was working for the government for the U.S. Treasury, maybe they were trying to cover their butts and pretend that they didn't actually uh, know who he was. And so conspiracy. when he, they called in, the government was like, nope, we've never heard of this guy,
0: because he was undercover. I love that. So that's a potential. Love, this sounds like a, like a plot line to a movie. It's it really crazy. does. And
1: maybe that's why it sounds so familiar. Like I said, maybe there's a movie about it. The journalist, Don, said that the things that had been written on the $2 bill also might have been a way for dawn to pass coded messages to the fbi and so once they had received that two dollar bill they no longer needed any information about charles they had what they could get out of that and then they kind of severed ties at that point still to this day there's never been any suspects found it is believed that the mafia was probably involved and chuck was trying to do some sort of work for them but it's believed that the mafia was somewhat involved and that chuck was trying to do some sort of work for them i did also see that that around the time of his death just a little before he had actually testified in a secret investigation into illegal activity so that opens up a whole Mm. nother door into Uh those potential individuals and if those potential individuals were all tied to the mafia then i mean it could go back to the mafia again absolutely the interview for that happened in may of 1977 which was in between the first and second
0: kidnapping huh well then were they trying to like literally make it so he couldn't talk potentially interesting
1: there's a lot of suspicious things with this that don't really make sense it is also theorized that chuck may have been killed by the mafia because he had sold land to them at one point that one family And maybe he had overheard something or learned something about that. And so they felt like he knew too much. And so they had decided to kill him at that point. Also kind of speculated because if you remember, I told you that he showed up at the motel, supposedly and met with green eyes with a briefcase full of money. That money was never found. So it's believed that he potentially had. Known that the hitman was out for him and they basically said, you know, if you get this money for us, we'll leave you alone. And then he got the money and then when he went to meet up with the guy to give him the money, ended up killing him anyways and taking the money. Mm -hmm. Also, the mafia making a a murder look like a suicide seems right up their alley.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the you know, there's some signs there that would really reflect it. The dollar or two dollar bill and the tooth and... Interesting. My only thing with them trying to make it look like a suicide, you would think they wouldn't have shot him in the back of the head then.
1: Yeah, that would have been odd because I think that that's not going to be the initial thought of the police, except Mm -hmm. for the fact that there was gunpowder residue on his hand. I think that's probably why their initial thought was suicide. And then they must have, the rest of their investigation, determined that. Something else that's odd and really makes you question a lot more of what was going on this time. So that journalist that I talked about, Don Devereaux, actually looked into a lot about Chuck. He had gone through a lot of Chuck's records and tried to retrace kind of his last steps. And this case itself was actually featured on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries where Don was on the episode. And... Three months after it had aired on TV, a man named Doug Johnston was shot to death in his car outside of the Phoenix office. He had been shot on the left side of his head. There was no gun residue found on his hand. The gun was never found and his death was classified a homicide. However, the thing that's kind of suspicious is he worked right across the street from where Don worked and they drove an identical car. Don believes that he was supposed to be killed in that situation and not Doug as a potential cover up because it was three months after he had been on the episode of Unsolved Mysteries. But to add to that, a year after Doug was murdered, Don was contacted by a writer from D.C. named Danny Cosolero, who said, I will share information with you about Chuck. I know a lot of things that I've uncovered about his gold transactions. And just before they were about to meet up, Danny was actually found dead in a hotel bathroom with both of his wrists slashed. They ruled it a suicide, but family once again said no way he would have committed suicide. this That's not what this is. And evidence at the scene of his death suggested that he was not alone at the time of his death because he had bruising and fingernails missing. The crime scene was also cleaned. Afterwards, prior to the maid going in. She had said that there were bloody towels on the floor suggesting somebody had tried to clean it, which seems suspicious because if you're committing suicide and bleeding out, you're not going to get out and clean it up. Yeah, how are they ruling that a suicide? (laughs) Ruled a suicide? And that is the end. As of today, 2022, all three of these cases are unsolved, technically. I mean, one was determined a homicide and the other two were classified suicides but when you put all of the evidence together it really doesn't seem like they're suicides. Unfortunately in 2006 Ruth Morgan did die of cancer prior to having any real answers to her husband's death and Ruth and Chuck's four daughters
0: still believe that their father was murdered and are still actively seeking some sort of closure. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.